We'll go ahead and open it to the book of Psalms. Psalm 7 is what we will be looking at this morning, as you probably already know. Um, point of privilege, I uh, would like to just first acknowledge that after today, this will mark uh, an official year of us being here. And I uh, just want to say thanks on behalf of my family, Ada, May, and Hardin, Virginia, and Bess. Um, how delighted we are to be here and how welcomed y'all have made us feel just in this, can't believe it's a year, one of those moments, but we are so excited for what the Lord has in store as we continue along together. Uh, but I just thought I would note that and say thank you and how we are thinking about God's kindness and goodness to us over this past year. And a large part of that, of course, is, is y'all. So thank you. Um, as we look at Psalm 7, a couple things to note here. We don't know much about this person, Cush, as you notice in the, um, the, the part before the first verse there, which is part of the, part of the psalm. Um, and what uh, we could probably, well, what we can say is uh, this person, um, as noted, was from the tribe of Benjamin. And why that's important is because King Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin. And what David is going to be saying in the psalm uh, leads us to see that what he is addressing, the injustice that he's feeling, is, is that a slander? That there are those who uh, are still not over King Saul being removed from his, his office and placing David there, and so there are those folks who are still in King Saul's camp that are obviously causing harm to David, and, and that's just a little bit about what that means. Another note about the Psalms, is this will be our last one for the summer as we've been moving from Psalm 1 to this one, is you might notice uh, the increase of intensity uh, of David. Um, psalm 3 was the first psalm with a title. It was our first lament, and it was kind of a, a beginner's guide to how to lament. And as we move through four, five, six, and now seven, the intensity has ramped up quite a bit here. And that's intentional um, because as we trust in the Lord, as we recognize what grace does for us, we are then invited to come in and be more honest. And we said that from the outset, and I just wanted to note that as well as we have moved into now Psalm 7. Note the intensity here in, um, in this psalm as David cries out to the Lord on behalf of what is happening to him. With that, let's give our attention to the reading of God's Word found in Psalm 7. O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me. Lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it in pieces with none to deliver. O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friends with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of my enemies. Awake for me. You have appointed a judgment. Let the assembly of the peoples be gathered about you. Over, in, over it, return on high. The Lord judges the people. Judge me, O Lord, according to my righteousness and according to the integrity that is in me. O oh, let the evil of the wicked come to an end, and may you establish the righteous, you who test the minds and hearts. O oh, righteous God, my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge. 
and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Behold, the wicked man conceives evil and is pregnant with mischief and gives birth to lies. He makes a pit, digging it out, and falls into the hole that he has made. His mischief returns upon his own head, and on his own skull his violence descends. Verse 17, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. Let me pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we pray now that you would do a miracle, and by miracle that you would soften hardened hearts, that we may respond, see, hear your word and your truth to us. Would you do this for your glory alone, we pray. Amen. So, three things about me. One, I have an older brother. Two, right after Ada and I got married, we experienced someone breaking into our apartment, stole our laptop and TV. It's our first TV. And on that laptop were pictures from our years dating, things that meant a lot to us. But third, my first call out of seminary was to the University of Alabama, as many of you know. Those are about the only real acts of injustice that I can think of that have come upon me in my life. I have made peace with my brother. I'm not getting that laptop back, nor that TV. And, you know, sometimes we just have to do things that the Lord calls us to. Um, I start there for this reason. Um, if, if there's anybody that should not be talking about injustice, it's me. Especially in light of what others have experienced in this life. And so I want to start there as we approach this topic and at the same time, I want us all to recognize that everybody in this room, everybody has experienced injustice, whether you recognize that or not. Everybody has experienced this in this room. And, 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 and because of that, and, and also because um, of how our Lord and Savior thinks about injustice because he is a just God, this topic matters. This topic matters. Justice is so much at the heart of who God is, who the God of the Bible is, no matter what our experiences with injustice are, we all must care about it, both as we learn to heal from those things, but also as we learn to reflect our righteous king, our righteous judge, and working towards pushing back on the injustices of this world to reflect his glory and to reflect his justness as his followers. And that's really all I want to put before us this morning. I really want to stay in my lane and point to our righteous judge, Jesus Christ. And that because we have a righteous judge in Christ, this is our only hope for real and true justice in this life and in the next. 
And so three things to kind of guide our time as we look at this psalm. Because God is the only righteous judge, one, real justice is possible. Real justice is possible. That's the first thing that we're going to look at. Second, because God is our only righteous judge, and I might say is the righteous judge, he cares deeply about injustice. We're going to see that from this psalm. And then lastly, because he is a righteous judge, he has, in fact, appointed a time where he will execute his final judgment, making all wrongs right. So those are the three things from this passage that we're going to see. Let us begin with that first one. Because God is a righteous judge, the only righteous judge, real justice is possible. This is our starting point for this topic, and it is for David as well. We noted earlier in the reading of the Scripture what is kind of going on with David at this point, so I want to kind of push past this. But just in case you missed it, he's essentially being slandered. Um, He's experiencing false accusations coming at him as king, and as king, this is actually a very serious matter. We know about smear campaigns in our culture. Uh, We know about slander, and it's actually something that sort of sits underneath the radar, actually, of of sins, to be honest, especially if you traffic social media, but I won't go there. But we understand this, its power and its effects. And as king, especially in this day and age, right, this could end your reign. And many commentaries, interesting enough, go so far to say that, that, that this type of injustice, right, this type of, 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 yeah, injustice, we'll just leave it at that, or persecution, it, it is worse than physical persecution, and, and the reason for that is physical persecution, Lord willing, comes to an end. But slander, right, is a hard thing to stop, and it is a difficult thing to find vindication of in the midst of the false accusations and the slander that is going on. It lives on and is out of anyone's control to sort of pull it out of people's minds. And this is the weight of what David is experiencing. Now, because of this, and this is getting at this first point, it's why he begins in the only place one can begin in the face of such injustice, no matter how big or small, which is he takes what? Refuge in God. You might remember from Psalm 3, God was a shield to him. That was his conclusion, and he's carried that with him. But here, he begins here. This isn't the conclusion of this psalm. This is where he begins. I will take refuge in God, verse 1. And why? Several reasons for sure, but mainly for this morning, it's because David sees God as the only righteous judge. And what this actually means is that if there is no righteous judge, there is no possibility for true and real justice. Because God is the only righteous judge, the only one who can stand, and and as we'll see, issue to the decrees and know all, all that, that needs to be known for justice because that's true, real justice is possible. And, and he, he goes throughout talking about this in verses 7, 8, and 11, where, where our focus will be this morning between verses 6 and 11. Um, after David has stated his innocence here in verses 3 to 5, he calls on God to what arise in his anger towards injustice. I wish we had more time to unpack this Uh, But there is a such thing as righteous anger. And this is rightful anger in the face of oppression or abuse or any act of injustice, which is any act against uh, the law of God. 
This is what God feels in the face of injustice, and David appeals to it in verse 6, God's righteous anger. We note in verse 7 or 8 that he calls on the assemblies of the people to be gathered around, which invokes a courtroom scene where God will make his righteous judgments, what, upon those who have done evil. Then with verse 8, the Lord judges the people. Again, there, he is the judge. Rounding out this section with 11a, God is a righteous judge. Again, I'm belaboring the point here. David starts here, both finding his refuge in, but appealing to God as the only righteous judge because that's the only possibility for true and real justice to be found. Now, there's two things I have to define here already. What in the world do I mean by true and real justice? And what in the world do I mean by a righteous judge? Let me start with a righteous judge briefly. As one pastor notes, and I'll use this definition, God, the righteous judge, is the only one who has what? The wisdom to know what people need and the power and right to give it to them. Let me say that again. The only one who has the wisdom to know what people need and the power and right to give it to them. I would add that he is the only one who is fair. He's the only one without error. He is always right. That's a righteous judge. And according to David, there's one, and it's God himself. He and only he is capable of bringing the type of justice that all of us long for in this world. There is no chance of real justice without this righteous judge. Okay, that's the short definition of what that me, of what I'm referring to as a righteous judge. But what does it mean to say that, that with, without this righteous judge, true or real justice cannot happen? And this is important for the rest of our time together. Uh, I'll appeal to C.S. Lewis here in his reflections on the Psalms. He makes the distinction between two types of justice. The first being heavenly or final justice, ultimate justice. And then the second being earthly or limited justice. Okay. The first one, heavenly or ultimate justice, is the justice that Christians all believe in upon Jesus' second return, when all rights will be made wrong. Right. That's heavenly ultimate justice. Limited earthly justice is the justice that you and I, we fight for in our courts, in our neighboring, in all other walks of life, as we side with the oppressed, the abused, the marginalized, and work for justice. Now, the experience in my life at this point, both personally, but as I've lived and breathed, is that the church tends to think about one or the other. Some of us are heavy-footed in the heavenly justice arena, right, the ultimate justice, and therefore, because that is the only place where things are going to be made right, I will sit on my hands now and, and, and just let the world play out, waiting for Jesus to return, not acting on behalf of those who are oppressed or marginalized in this world. That's one extreme. The other is to ignore the heavenly justice altogether. And in our righteous anger here, feel like it is up to us and only us to find an end to injustice here. And what real justice, what biblical justice talks about is both of those. Both of those are true. Both of those are held together. As a matter of fact, one gives hope to the other. As we work towards limited justice here in the brokenness of our world and our minds and limitations and what sin has done to bring this about, 
right? Our hope is that even in all those things we don't catch, and in all the ways that we don't and can't restore one another to whole, there is a day coming. There's a day coming. This is not pie in the sky, guys. This is what the gospel points to in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because that's true, it actually fuels my work towards justice now. We cannot sit on one or other, of the other side. The church is to hold both of those together where true and real justice sits. That's my definition. We can work for limited justice here and now, but knowing that full restoration and vindication over those who have experienced injustice, how that can only happen if there is a supreme and righteous judge who knows all things and has the right to judge in the first place, there's no hope without it. There's no hope without it. This is where David takes refuge in God, the righteous judge. Without him, there's no point in even beginning. Let me just illustrate this briefly before we move on about, about why this is the most important place to start, of believing that there is only one righteous, true judge for both of these things, both heavenly justice and earthly justice, to come together. Our family, when we just moved to Fort Worth, um, Virginia was three and Bess was one. And we were getting dinner ready and, and about to start dinner and getting the kids fed. And, and that particular night, we were having corn on the cob. And before Ada and I had even sat down to eat, Virginia was asking for thirds. And, and I, so I asked her if it was okay if I could tell this story. The girl loves, loves corn on the cob like her daddy. Um, and so, of course, we told her no, because, well, one, we hadn't even sat down yet and, 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 and eaten, but you've already had two, you're fine, go play. But this never stopped Virginia from coming over to the table, as she sometimes still does, and just sort of stares at the bowl and says, is anyone going to eat that? Go play, go play. Well, evening comes, and Ada goes to check on the girls, and as she gets to Virginia, who's surprisingly awake, she appears to be hiding something under her sheet of her bed. Any guesses as to what that would be? An ear of corn. She literally has an ear of corn hid under her bed that she is munching on, I guess, as she's supposed to be asleep. Now, of course, Ada's being as graceful and merciful as possible, right, asking questions. Virginia, why did you take this? Right? Why did you bring this into your room? Which Virginia says, it wasn't me. Bess did it. And this wouldn't have, like, okay, Bess has been asleep for two hours. It's the worst excuse ever, right? At this point, right, injustice for Bess. This is slander towards Bess. She can't defend herself. It's the worst lie ever. Now, what's the point of this? We think we get better. We think we become enlightened and we move away from childish ways, always acting in accord with what is right or just, but we don't. We might be more aware of the right and the wrong, but there isn't this moment in society where after a certain age, everyone just gets it. And we begin to always seek justice and love mercy. 
Even Christians who have more of a reason to do so and the power to do so because of the Holy Spirit, we are not batting a thousand here. What happens as we get older is the wrongs and the hurts, what they get more serious. They get bigger. The point of this story, the point of the story with Virginia and Bess is that this is all of our attempts to bring true justice in our lives and the lives of others if there is no righteous king or judge. In other words, if left to ourselves, we'd have as much hope for true justice in this world as a three and a one-year-old working out the complications of a stolen piece of corn. Before I even go any further, this doesn't mean, as we'll see, we don't work for justice now. But this is where David is starting as he is taking refuge in God for these things. Because we don't have the wisdom that God has, which doesn't, again, doesn't mean we can't do things right. We don't have the power to restore people back to whole. And we don't have the authority to actually pronounce judgment. Certainly in the ways that bring true justice. There must be a righteous judge if real justice is possible, and that can only be the creator of this world. And that's Jesus Christ. This is where David starts in Psalm 7, and this is where we must start as well. This is the first point. It's long, I'm sorry. God is the only righteous judge, and because that's true, real justice is possible. So let's unpack that as we move into the next two points. Next, we see that because God is a righteous judge, that he actually cares about injustice. And this may be uh, the question that, that you're asking this morning, right? Okay, he's the righteous judge, justice is possible, but I, I see so much injustice in this world, it just doesn't lead me to believe that he even cares. It doesn't, it doesn't lead me to believe that he's even going to do anything about it. And David gives us the answer to this question, does God really care about injustice, both in verse 6 and verse 11. They book in this section. First, as we already mentioned, as he calls on uh, God to arise in his righteous anger. But then we understand more what that means in verse 11 when he talks about how God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. Suffice it to say, as Derek, only Derek Kidner can, says, God is not lukewarm on injustice. And I would go so far as to say what we can say, what Scripture leads us to believe for sure, is that not only is he not lukewarm on injustice, he hates it more than you do. But what does it mean that God feels indignation every day? Simply put, because of God's character and his infiniteness, he never forgets the injustices of his people. They are, in a sense, always before him in a way they always should be as our righteous judge. At the same time, he knows what to do about them so that justice will be satisfied. 9-11 was the first major national act of terrorism that I experienced as an adult. I was 21, uh, sophomore, junior in college. And I can tell you everything about that day, right? I can tell you what I was wearing, where I was, what I did. It reminded me uh, a, a lot of the conversations I would have with, with older folks who remembered the assassination of JFK. And if that was one of you in this room, like if you, if you were around, 
that sounds bad. Um, that's not too far ago, but it's like, you know, if you, if you, have, if you, if you remember that, if you were there, um, you know what you were wearing. You know what you were doing probably, right? This is kind of what 9-11 was for me. It was, it, it, and obviously is for many of us, right? It, it, is a, there is a, it is a fulcrum in which our culture and society is, has, has shifted on. Big deal. Um, I know that the next day they canceled classes for us which was, I was thankful for that because I had a business law exam that I did not want to take, and I was not prepared for that at all. So I was thankful for that. After that, life just kind of went on. And, and it wasn't like we felt right about that. It wasn't, you know, like I felt okay about this, but there was a period there where we didn't really know what to do. We certainly were helpless in what to do. These are, this is Tennessee I'm speaking of. I should be more clear. I know that impacted people here in a different way. This is Tennessee. Um, but by that following week, dare I say that in some ways it was as if this never happened. My point is not that we need to care more, although we could make that argument. My point is that we are limited to do all that is required to right wrongs. We forget and that's not right. That actually has to be paid for. What David is saying, that's not what God is like. And I know there are some of us that need to hear that this morning. That is not what God is like. He is different from us. It is not enough to get by seeing 60, 70, 80% maybe of injustices righted in this world. In fact, it would be wrong to have 99.99999 carry it out infinitely. It'd be wrong to have that be our percentage for injustices and wrongs righted. Because for God to be a righteous judge, this means that all injustices are not only before him, but all must be satisfied and made right. And what verse 11 is saying is that this is what God will do. And this is true for all other acts of injustice here. Not just slander, but we could make the list, right? Racism, systemic racism, sex trafficking, economic injustice, incarceration, and the justice system itself. As beautiful as it is, it is a flawed and broken system. And as we feel the weight, just listing those, as we feel the weight of all that and more, what David is singing about here, literally singing about, is that the Lord sees it all. He feels it all. And is acting on behalf of it all. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. If you're a Christian in your room, that has to be your song this morning whether for yourself or for others. Where are you? Come on. Arise, O Lord, in your anger. And I know that there are many out there who say, okay, I get it. This is how God feels about injustice, but what is he doing about it, right? What has he done? And this is where the cross of Jesus has got to get bigger for us. 
We have got to see the cross not just as the place where you and I receive forgiveness, which is true, but God's response to all injustice as well. In other words, to the question, why doesn't God do anything about the injustices of this world, Christians must be able to say and say loudly that he has. And what has he done? He has entered this world, suffered, and experienced injustice in a way that none of us can or will by wrongfully being put on a cross and then suffering the wrath of sins that he never committed. In other words, Jesus satisfies the heavenly justice by dying and promises, promises earthly justice and restoration in his resurrection. All by entering our world and not avoiding it. Therefore, we can say with certainty, while I don't know why injustice has happened, and that that is a legitimate question, and one we can't answer right now. I don't know why they happen. The one thing we can't say is God doesn't care. And while that can sound like an apologetic from the pulpit this morning, I want that to be a balm for people's hearts and souls who have really experienced injustice in this world and are reeling from it. Wondering if God does in fact care. The cross reminds us that he does. If you haven't read Tim Keller's sermon shortly after 9-11, it's worth reading. I would commend, commend it to you. But in it, he says this towards the end of the sermon, and I felt it appropriate to share this this morning. He says, We have a God who is so committed to ending suffering and death that he was willing to come into the world and share in that suffering and death himself. There are an awful lot of people praying to a general God. I'm sure that God somehow is loving us, but I don't know that. Rather, I know that only because Christianity alone of all the religions tells us that God has specifically loved us. God lost his son in an unjust attack. Only Christianity tells us that God has suffered. When somebody says to me, I don't know that God cares about our suffering, I say, yes, he does. They say, how do you know? If I were in any other religion, I wouldn't know what to say. But the proof is that he himself was willing to suffer. I don't know why he hasn't ended suffering and evil, but the fact that he was willing to be involved and that he himself got involved is proof that he must have some good reason. He cares, he is not remote, and he is not away from us. I don't know where that meets you, and that is certainly not the end of the story here. As you work towards the healing component of what you, how you have experienced with injustice, but as you think about how does God reconcile all this, the one thing the cross tells us over and over is that it can't be that God doesn't care. It can't be that God doesn't care. But this is not where it ends. And this gets to my final point. Because God is a righteous judge, he has appointed a time where he will execute his final judgment. If the cross shows us how much God cares about injustice, then resurrection, right, that, is, that, that tells us how he will make it right. And this is where both of those worlds come together, our heavenly ultimate justice, but also the workings out of justice here and now. Look back with me at verse 6. David lives in the future here. Again, the Psalms are always asking us to take what is promised in the future and bring it into the present, because that's how true God's promises are. And David lives in the future here when he says, Arise, O Lord, in your anger. Lift yourself up against the fury of the enemies. Awake from me, 
you have appointed a judgment or you have ordained a judgment. It is not an if, friends, but it is a when, and this is what Jesus' resurrection assures us. Yes, Jesus' resurrection points to life after death, but it also vindicates him as God and righteous judge over all creation. Do not miss that. It is in his vindication by resurrection that assures us that real justice is possible because it tells us that Jesus is actually worthy to be that judge over all of us. And the most the greatest act of injustice upon God's creation, which is death itself, resurrection says, does not have the power to hold us back or him as well. Therefore, because of, of this, because of this, uh, because of his resurrection, the plan of restoration has begun. This is what Easter morning is telling us. All sins and injustices alike will not only be made right in the final judgment upon his return, but God's people will find healing because the Lamb has overcome. And this, friends, is what actually makes my work and your work here and all the ways that we do this to work towards justice and to push back towards the injustices of this world and to actually even experience healing from the ways that we have experienced injustice it makes all of those efforts not in vain. And it is the power to fight and continue to fight knowing that his resurrection, the first fruits of the world to come, where all wrongs will be made right, is underway. Some will say, if God is truly good, why hasn't he fixed the wrongs in my life? And I understand that. Many will say, where's my justice? And it's at this point, we won't get to it, but verses 12 to 15 talk about the effects of evil. And I think this is very interesting that David would note that evil has its own consequences. And it's almost uh, sort of a, a comfort to those that don't necessarily find uh, full justice in this life. Do not be fooled that their life is great, that nothing is going to happen. And he lists the, 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 the very vividness of this psalm in those verses, lists the consequences of evil in our lives. And it calls us to repent of our own. It might seem that people are getting away with, with, the, with, with, with the wrongs of this world, but David calls us not to believe this. Instead, we look and, and hope of what God has promised the second thing that he shows us here as we round out this last point is, and this is a hard one to say, but friends, we are not promised full restoration in this life. We are not promised full restoration in this life. Notice that David finds hope by the end of this psalm without any indication that his injustices that he has experienced has been righted. It's nowhere in this psalm, yet he concludes with giving thanks and praise to God. In verse 17, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness, and I will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. For David, what this means is that he is trusting that God will one day make it all right. And that is a faith claim that all Christians hold. Nowhere are any of us promised the full weight of justice in this lifetime. In fact, in fact, what the gospel says is you don't really want it. 
We don't have time to unpack this here, but asking for the full weight of justice to come today means that all of us must distinguish between being right and being righteous. Something Jamie alluded to over and over in our service. You and I, right, we might be right in the face of injustice in our lives, but no one here is righteous in the face of God unless what? Unless you find yourself in Christ. And while this never excuses the injustices that come upon you in your life, it gives us the proper starting point for all matters of justice because we are all people under mercy. And that's the gospel. And this is where David leaves it. Christians, Christian or not, you need a final judgment if you long for real and true justice to happen. You need a righteous judge. And what the gospel tells us is that all of us, right, we would not be able to stand in the face of this real justice but for the cross. Is he your refuge this morning? Is he your refuge in all matters? Because if he is, then no matter what we face, we can, like David, give thanks and praise to God alone, for he is good. He knows your sufferings. He is and will not be silent over them. A few questions of application and we're done. Where do you need God's grace to meet you this morning in this topic? Is it believing that real justice is only possible if a righteous judge exists? And is it believing that, God, that the God of the Bible is, in fact, the only righteous judge? For some of us, that's as far as we can go this morning, and that's fine. That what I long for the most is only possible if Christ exists. Is that where you need the grace of our Lord to meet you this morning? How could opening yourself up more and more to believing and trusting that reality that Jesus is the only one who has the wisdom to know what people need and the power and the right by virtue of his death and his resurrection to give it to them? How could believing that not only promise real justice that it is possible, but be a refuge to you in the midst of it? For others this morning, maybe you need God's grace to convince you that he truly cares about the injustices that come upon you in this life. The church doesn't always do the job that the church is called to do. I'll be the first to say it. How could being brought to the foot of the cross though remind you that God not only cares about injustices to the, to the tune of offering his own son to right all wrongs, but that he allowed himself to experience injustice so that at the very least he would know your sufferings and injustices as well, that you are not alone. How would knowing that draw you closer to your Savior? And lastly, how does the final judge, judgment, like the promise of that final judgment, give you hope that no matter what happens in this lifetime, all rights will, all wrongs will be made right? And thus give you the courage, right, to fight now, knowing your work is not in vain for the marginalized, oppressed, and those experiencing injustice. Because what all this means is that the church has got to hold both of these things together. We have got to fight for justice now, and we've got to hold the final judgment that is coming in Christ together that actually holding those two things together is living in step with your righteous king. 
There's fighting for justice here, and there's waiting or appealing for justice in God's final judgment. The church must do both. And when we do that, and we ask the Spirit to bless our broken attempts to do those things, people see Jesus. That's where they see Jesus, in the midst of that work, in the midst of seeing both the injustices of this world be righted and the promise of believing that one day, someday, he will return and all things will be made new. In the book of Revelation, when we, we, we go to, to chapter 21, where we are, are told that he will wipe out the tear. It is the tear, which is, encompasses all sorrows and all wrongs. And part of that tear is injustice. That that day is coming. Part of what that means for us this morning is that because that's true, we, we have got to work for injustice now, knowing that one day, someday, the beauty of God's redemption will come home and be true for all of us. I think that's a place enough, enough for this morning. Um, let, us, let me pray for us as we go to the table and we meet with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Heavenly Father, the weighty topic for sure. We pray that you'd meet us in these places where we trust that you are who you say you are, that you are our righteous king. That you are going to wipe out all of those tears. And that doesn't mean that we have spiritual amnesia, that we forget about the injustices to us. No, actually, in some way that we cannot even understand, we will understand them better and know of your love for us even more. This is what you promise. So I pray that that would be healing for many this morning, but also the desire and power to drive us into a world full of injustice that we may fight for and work towards justice so that we might reflect our righteous King and Judge, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name alone. Amen.